You're listening to the Burke and Ms. The Wiz Montalban Fantasy Football Podcast, the place I go to get my fantasy fulfilled. The best analysis, advice, and opinions on fantasy football that you can't find anywhere else. Let the fantasy begin. Yay! So recapping that Super Bowl, it really just comes down to one guy, and that's Tom Brady. It He's just, he's the GOAT for a reason. But unlike other GOATs where you're just mesmerized by his play, Tom Brady really just is an efficient quarterback that gets it done, and he's a winner. He's kind of like, uh, I guess, Sidney Crosby in hockey. He's, you know, he doesn't really wow you. There's moments where he wows you, but it's just his consistency of greatness that uh, kind of shines through. And, you know, all the cheating remarks about, you know, he cheated and did this, and I, I'm not going to dispute that. I, I definitely think there's uh, some edges that were had in New England uh, to win games. But, I mean, just to be, you know, 43 years old, leave your team, go to another team, and then take that team probably to the Super Bowl and win, that just says something. And, uh, you know, he threw for three touchdowns, so we, we can't say it wasn't because of Brady. Uh, two to Gronkowski, one to Antonio Brown. I mean, Leonard Fournette had a great game on the ground, really kind of kept the Chiefs' defense off balance. But I, I think the real takeaway of this game is that Buccaneer defense is for real, like for real, for real. They're going to be a force to reckon with, especially next year. Their defense I'd definitely be looking at. I mean, they they just got better and better as the season went along. And they you know, gave up some passing yards early on and actually through most of the season. But through the playoffs, they were, were really able to kind of straighten that out a little bit. I thought the Chiefs were, uh, you know, going to be able to pass for a lot more yards with Mahomes and their receivers, you know, like they did the first time they met in the regular season. Uh, even with the injuries to the offensive tackles, I thought, you know, the, the Chiefs would still be able to get it done because the Chiefs offense just always got it done. But then they faced this Buccaneer defense and, you got Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett on the outside, and although Shaq Barrett's going to be a free agent, you know, uh, I'm sure the Buccaneers are going to be looking to resign him. Then you got Levante David, who's probably one of the most underrated linebackers in the league. He's, you know, especially as a coverage linebacker. I mean, those guys are a hot commodity in the NFL, and there's not too many guys that uh, have the coverage skills at linebacker like he does. And then you mix that in with Devin White and what Devin White's able to do. Uh, he's a top five pick for a reason, and he really came into his own during these playoffs. So really, I mean, Mahomes barely was over 50% passing. And, I mean, to be honest, the way he's throwing the ball, he's basically getting the ball out of the shotgun and running back 20 yards for his life. I mean, that's how porous their offensive line was. So, And then just to squirm away from some sacks and be able to hit the receivers, uh, Without the receivers even being able to catch the ball, it was just uh, you felt bad for Mahomes. You felt like he was trying to carry the team, and the team just didn't want it to happen. So, uh, you know, you should never. This is something that I overlooked because I took the Chiefs and gave up the three points, thinking, oh, you know, their tackles are hurt, but their offense is so electric that, you know, Mahomes will be able to fight through that and and still be able to do Mahomes th- type things, and. That really makes a difference when you don't have your tackles. I mean, it's it's the uh, story as, as old as time with football, right? You, you don't win in the trenches, you don't win the game. And the 
Chiefs weren't able to get it done and win in this game. I'm, I mean, those those offensive tackles played a huge part because they, they weren't able to block anyone. It was like wet, wet, wet paper towels out there, and you, you hated to see it. You thought the Chiefs would score some touchdowns. They weren't able to. They All those touchdowns they should have scored were field goals, and uh, it was 31-9. to uh, The the uh, well, over-under was 56. I said to take the under. Uh, so I got that part right, which I'm pretty happy about. But at the same time, I didn't think it was going to be because the Chiefs couldn't score. Uh, I thought it was going to be a more balanced game, closer game. And uh, it just uh, didn't work out that way. It was pretty much all Buccaneers the whole game. The Probably the, <laughs> the, the, the only exciting thing that you saw where you're like, you know, something hanging into the balance was when the streaker ran across the field and you're wondering if he's going to make it to the end zone. You're like, oh, that guard almost got him. Oh, there's a security guard over there. He's going to get him. Like, that was that was the longest play uh, across the field, the whole Super Bowl. So, overall, you know, it's bittersweet because it's the end of football and everybody hates to see the end of football. But at the same time, you know, the Buccaneers are the champions. They deserved it. It's good to see Tampa Bay get their second championship, especially because, you know, it took them so long to get back to the playoffs. And overall, they've been a franchise that's, uh, you know, been downtrodden and, uh, you know, kind of the laughing stock of the uh, their divisions. So to see them, you know, excel that first time and then to see them win a second with uh, having all those pieces they have in place right now is it's a good thing to see. It's an exciting thing to see. And I think there's, you know, they have a good future well, well past Brady. I mean, they just need a sufficient quarterback with that defense and some of the weapons they have on offense. They're they're going to be a good team. So, and then on the Chiefs side of the ball, yeah, they lo- they won the Super Bowl last year, lost it this year. They'll be back. I mean, they're the best team in the AFC. Still, they're still going to be tough to beat. Especially, you know, it really comes down to them being healthy, like it is any team. So this this isn't the end of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think you'll be seeing them in a lot more Super Bowls in the next ten years. So having said that, um, uh, you know, Godwin and Evans had kind of quiet days, which we thought they would with that type of matchup. Uh, Antonio Brown was able to get a touchdown, and uh, he was actually probably their most active receiver. So it's good to see Antonio Brown do well. And, uh, you know, based off all his past troubles, probably not as good to see him win a Super Bowl, but he did. So that's the way it goes sometimes. And, uh, yeah, that's... uh, that's our recap. Hi, you're listening to Ms. Montalban. I'm here today to bring you the latest signings, injuries, and breaking news. Thank you for joining me. Let's get started. I'm just going to slide right in with the breaking news. There's a lot that went on since the Super Bowl that I'd like to talk about. This is usually the week where news starts picking up of, of off-season stuff. And this was no exception. The first thing is Deshaun Watson asked for a trade from the Houston Texans. Now, him being one of the top quarterbacks in the league, that's a tough blow for the Texans that your main guy doesn't want to be there. Now, it's not like it wasn't the Texans' fault, however. He wanted a little bit of say in the coach and the GM and just wanted to feel part of that process. And McNair, the owner, decided that uh well made him believe that he would be and then just hired whoever he wanted so definitely there's some cultural things going on with the texans right now that uh doesn't seem like everyone's on the same page 
and it's pretty unfortunate because now they just uh, made their best player disgruntled and he doesn't want to be part of the team. Now having said that, the Texans stated that they're not interested in trading him and has kind of turned away all people that are interested in attaining him. So we'll see how that works out. I think that they're eventually going to have to trade him. It's kind of like the Le'Veon Bell situation where, you know, it didn't seem like the head coach wanted him. People were like, you know, there, there's no way that Le'Veon Bell gets traded. And then sure enough, I mean, it didn't happen right away, but it happened. And this is the Sean Watson situation is, I think, even worse because he's a quarterback and he's a leader of the team, the face of the franchise. And, again, he needs to be happy because if he's not, this is, you know, the Texans are looking at a, a rebuild at this point. And um, I'm sure Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be part of that. And I think he's lost some trust in the management group and the ownership group. So, uh, it doesn't matter if the Texans want to trade him or not. They're going to be forced into a situation where they kind of have to. Staying with the Texans, defensive end, uh, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer, J.J. Watt was released and is free to sign with any team. The Houston Texans granted him this favor. He wanted to go to a, a winning team, didn't think the Texans' direction was going that way or trending that way. And so early favorites for J.J. Watt are Cleveland Browns, Buffalo Bills, obviously the Green Bay Packers, and Pittsburgh Steelers. So this will be some of the big news of the offseason is where J.J. Watt ends up. And uh, it will be fun to follow. I, I, to be honest, I think he'll fit great with the uh, Steelers or the Bills or the Browns, so any of those teams. Packers, I mean... Yeah, he's a hometown kid, so I'm sure they'd want him there and had it, they'd, had, they'd make room for him. But uh, I think those other three teams would be better fits. Um, Steelers, I mean, it depends on Bud Dupree if they try to make him and uh, J.J. Watt the other outside linebacker to his brother. If not, I don't think there's room for him in Pittsburgh either. But uh, it'll be something to monitor, and it'll be fun to speculate. Russell Wilson is expressing dissatisfaction in Seattle. He wants to move, or he wants more input on the offense. And I get it. They, you know, they just fired the offensive coordinator that uh, is actually a run-heavy offensive coordinator because he didn't run the ball enough. And Deshaun Watson, or sorry, uh, Russell Wilson wanted to air it out a little bit more. And they looked good when they, they did air it out. And then they kind of tried to rein that in, and their offense didn't look the same. And now they want to stay with that and they hired an you know offensive coordinator to kind of continue that trend of running the football um on top of that russell wilson is tired of the seattle seahawks ignoring the offensive line and he's getting kind of beat up and is not enjoying getting beat up like any quarterback doesn't like getting hit so that plays into it too he's hoping that the seattle will uh, take him serious and try to uh solidify that offensive line a little bit to uh, prolong his career and I don't blame him. I mean, you've, you see this with quarterbacks all the time where they don't put the line in front of them and they just get pounded back there and uh, it shortens their career. So I, I think this is the right move by Russell Wilson. Seattle, they, you know, they, they do a lot of good things, but uh, one of the things they haven't done well is putting an offensive line in front of Russell Wilson. And I think that was the big cause of them having the season that they had this year. Uh, they could have... Uh, I thought their offense could have been a lot more uh, efficient if they were able to get an offensive line. So, Steelers center Marquise Pouncey announced his retirement, and 
that's a big blow to the Steelers. It looks like the Steelers might be trending towards a rebuild as well. They had one of the best offensive lines, and they really looked old and slow, and like they couldn't block anyone last year. So it's that's something that they're going to have to do. Speaking of Seattle, I mean, the Steelers are going to have to revamp that offensive line. Marquise Pouncey was a big part of that. He just gotten beat up. Uh, he's, he's you know missed a couple seasons with injury, but uh, follows along with that long line of Hall of Fame centers. You know, Mike Webster to Damani Dawson, and then obviously there's the gap with Jeff Hardings, who wasn't bad, but uh, wasn't a Hall of Famer. And now Marquise Pouncey, I think, will be a future Hall of Famer. So um, that's going to be a hole in that offensive line that's going to be hard to fill, especially since there's not, uh, you know, they don't have money to sign free agents, and there's not a lot of great, uh, great centers in this draft. I mean, there's solid ones, but I don't think there's ones that are necessarily great. So uh, Trevor Lawrence was kind of sneaky. He's having uh, he's having shoulder surgery on his left shoulder, and uh, obviously that's his non-throwing shoulder, so he should be fine for training camp. But in order to be able to still work out for teams, he held his own separate pro day, and he looked good. He was able to move around and uh, really throw the ball, really making a, a lot of those NFL throws that he needs to make. So. He pretty much solidified his stock as the top overall draft pick. And, uh, you know, Urban Meyer, there, there's there been whispers that he might go with Justin Fields just because of the fact that, you know, Justin Fields is an Ohio State guy. But, you know, this is the NFL. He's going to go with who he thinks can, is the best quarterback. And I, I really think that uh, Trevor Lawrence will be uh, the number one pick. Washington football team re-signed QB Taylor Heineke. Great move by the Washington football team. He'll be uh, he looked great in the playoffs. Had a great playoff game. He definitely looked more developed than Dwayne Haskins, and uh, especially with Washington needing help at the quarterback position. You know, you have Alex Smith. They'll probably draft someone. Uh, I think Heineke is a good quarterback that can at least make him competitive if he you know he's forced to play. Former Chargers and Buccaneers wide receiver. This is a big blow. A Northern University of Northern Colorado legend. Uh, Chargers and Buccaneers, former Chargers and Buccaneers wide receiver Vincent Jackson dies at 38. Really tragic. There's uh, autopsies aren't out on how he passed away yet, but uh, it doesn't really matter because uh, he's still uh, passed away. And uh, being an alumni from that school, it makes me sad to. Uh, to you know, report that uh, a fellow alumni, is, uh, especially as great as Vincent Jackson, is no longer with us. And he was young. So, Panthers defensive tackle Kawan Short was released by the Panthers. Two-time Pro Bowler. He was hurt. I mean, he signed that extension and he had two Pro Bowls, but then wasn't able to be a consistent piece because he was, you know, injured and hurt. So, uh, he's. It was a good move to save the Panthers some cap, try to get younger, and he'll be a hot commodity in free agency. But uh, Panthers are looking to revamp that team a little bit and get younger. So there you go. That is our breaking news of the week. And let's move on with our uh, review of the running backs. Man, I can't even get through a breaking news segment without more breaking news happening. So this is a Fast and Furious breaking news segment. Uh, I can't keep up with it. But uh, Kevin Colbert. GM for the Steelers spoke with the press and it 
determined basically that Roethlisberger is not necessarily safe with the Steelers. It didn't look like Colbert wanted him back. Roethlisberger wants to come back, and with the how much he's you know putting a dent in the Steelers' salary cap, I think the Steelers would take him back, depending on what they can renegotiate contract-wise. So that's something worth monitoring because it really depends on who that quarterback's going to be. Uh, that's going to affect those other assets like Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, uh, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, is he coming back? Who knows? Eric Ebron will be there. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that uh, we'll have to pay attention to during the offseason and and see what that situation looks like. And then the biggest news of the moment is the Eagles were finally able to unload Carson Wentz. They were kind of in a bad spot because they're trying to trade Carson Wentz at his lowest value. And if you know anything about asset management, you don't want to trade guys at their lowest value. But that's what the Eagles did. And they probably don't like the return that they got. But again, you really need to, you know, Carson Wentz is coming off a 75 75 passer rating. So especially with his price tag of how much money he cost, Really, the Eagles were just looking to unload that contract. They're ready to move ahead with Jalen Hurts or maybe someone else even, but it's looking like Jalen Hurts. And everyone knew that. People were kind of scared away with Carson Wentz on his coachability and those type of things, and who knows? I mean, some people liked Carson Wentz, some people didn't. But the one thing I do know is Frank Wright, he got the best out of him. That's the coach of the Colts, so Carson Wentz couldn't have gone to a better spot. I think he can really revive Carson Wentz's career. I mean, the Colts have some weapons. They have a great offensive line. They have a great running game. They won't have to rely on him. And the Eagles' offense was just horrible last year. So it wasn't just, I mean, between Hurts and Wentz, both of their uh, completion percentages were horrible. So I just think it was the offense in general that was just really bad. There was a lot of injuries on their offense at every position, so that kind of hurt into how productive their offense was. It was just a really bad year overall for the Eagles, and especially that offense. So I'm not ready to count out Carson Wentz yet, and I think this is a good move, and he potentially could have some fantasy value uh, going into next year. So we'll have to see how the rest of the offseason unfolds, but it certainly makes the Colts a little bit more interesting. It's the 2020 running back review. Let's get started. Let's get started with our running back review. We're going to start at number 30, go all the way down to 15 today, and then uh, do the rest of them in our next podcast. But uh, looking over the bottom half of the uh, running back rankings, it's definitely telling. And there was a lot of secondary running backs that weren't necessarily the main guy, but were involved, whether it was receiving or injury to the main guy. And it just shows how valuable it is. Like, really, after the first 15, 16 running backs, you know, that's probably a good spot to start getting some of the the backups that you know are going to get uh, playing time and that's not the case with all these guys because you know we'll jump into our number 30 and it's Giovanni Bernard and in his case I don't think he would have been a draftable running back or a running back that you would have had on your roster unless it was like really late in the draft and uh, you thought he might be able to get some receiving yards but uh, 
Giovanni Bernard really creeped, uh, creeped up to number 30, mostly due to Joe Mixon's injury. And he was a tough play regardless, because even though he was number 30, there was always that Joe Mixon hanging around the corner. It was kind of like A.J. Green the year before. You know, this year, uh, it was like, you know, is Joe Mixon going to play? He should be back in a couple games. Well, now it's going to be a couple more games. And so it kind of just left you dangling. And uh, it was really frustrating if you were a Joe Mixon owner or if you were a Giovanni Bernard owner because you're ready to cut the cord on Giovanni Bernard. But then Joe Mixon kept being out and injured and not playing. So uh, I, I really feel like, you know, obviously next year he doesn't, you know, Giovanni Bernard doesn't touch anywhere near your top 30 but i mean he had 416 yards rushing which you know for starting 10 games you would like to see a little bit more and uh he three touchdowns but he had 355 yards receiving and as much as the Bengals passed the ball i mean they barely ran the ball so i think even with mixon you know in the mix uh that uh they probably were still not going to have a really high rushing numbers and run the ball as much um, it's just crazy how much, you know, they got Joe Burrow and then they just, you know, were passing the ball like crazy. But I understand that too, because I mean, when you got Tyler Boyd, AJ Green and, uh, T Higgins, why would you not pass the ball and get it into their hands? So moving on from Giovanni Bernard, the number 29 running back is Gus Edwards. And this was kind of a sneaky one too, because going into the season, you knew the Ravens were going to have two running backs that were going to be active. You knew they were going to run the ball more and be effective, but you thought that was going to be Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. And really, Mark Ingram just kind of got phased out. So he's got to be a guy that you're really disappointed in if you drafted him. But uh, Gus Edwards has always been a really good running back. I mean, he averaged like five yards a carry coming into the season uh, the year before. So... He definitely was a good running back. And, you know, even in this this year, he averaged five yards a carry. So he's been pretty consistent with that. Um, but he had 723 yards on 144 rushes, uh, six touchdowns. Receiving-wise, I mean, the Ravens don't pass to their running backs, so it's really, you know, it's irrelevant for the Ravens and, you know, their, their receiving running backs. Uh, 129 yards receiving on nine catches. So uh, really when you're drafting a Ravens running back, it's, for their rushing ability. But Gus Edwards was really good, and he was a secondary piece. So if you could have had your crystal ball and you know were able to envision that Mark Ingram would be phased out completely, you probably would have liked Mar- uh, Gus Edwards. But, uh, yeah, he was one of those ones that uh, he snuck into the top 30 but probably didn't get a lot of play fantasy football-wise. Uh, but going into next year... J.K. Dobbins is really going to be the guy. He's going to get the majority of the carries. But again, as much as they run the ball, having Gus Edwards, he still can be a, a valuable play and someone you can... I, I think he's draftable, uh, mostly because even with J.K. Dobbins, he's going to get some carries and uh, some some volume. And uh, you just got to know that there's not going to be much receiving yards. So number 28, we are... Going right into it, Chase Edmonds. This was another crazy one because Kenyon Drake was a little bit disappointing early on, and they started picking it up towards the end. And Chase Edmonds was the opposite. Like he really looked, looked like the better running back early on in the season, and looked like the better running back to own. Uh, 
but with Kenyon Drake, you know, looking like he was going to get the majority of the carries, I really, you know, that really brought uh, Chase Edmonds down on the list. And uh, he he did better than what we projected. He had 448 yards on, on 97 carries, which isn't a ton, but I mean, it's it's close to half a, a, a grand on the ground. And he, uh, the, the big thing was he had 402 yards receiving on 53 receptions. So getting Chase Edmonds involved in the passing game was really a good move because he's a good running back. And it really caused both running backs to be quite involved in, in the game plans. Now the Cardinals offense just kind of uh, hit rock bottom towards the end. It's like, you know, what happened to this offense that was supposed to be so high powered? It really didn't look that way towards the end of the season. And that really hurt Chase Edmonds because there wasn't a lot of guys getting, uh, you know, their their stats that they normally get for fantasy football. But, uh, you know, good on Chase Edmonds to get in the top 30. And Do I think he gets there next year? Uh, it's really going to come down to what the running back situation is for the Cardinals. I mean, Kenyon Drake's a free agent. There hasn't been any hints on whether he's going to be back for the Cardinals or not. You know, and if if, if he's not, are they going to draft a running back? Are they going to pick another one up in free agency? So that really needs to shake out. But if they don't do anything and Chase Edmonds is, is the guy, you really got to like him. Um, but if they do pick up somebody else, I, I really feel like he's back in the same boat he was coming into this season. So... Uh, it's something definitely uh, worth monitoring. Uh, next at number 27 is Latavius Murray, New Orleans Saints running back. And he he was solid. I mean, he, he was tough to gauge, though, because it was like when, you know, was he, was he going to have his big game and when was that going to be? You just never knew. And so you really were just, it was kind of a crapshoot putting him in there. And it didn't really matter about matchups, whether it was a good matchup or not. Uh, he did have a, that string where he looked like the stronger running back, where Drew Brees was hurt. And uh, they phased Alvin Kamara out a couple games and then realized their mistake and you know went all back in on Alvin Kamara. But Latavius Murray had some uh, good games in, in, in that time. But uh, overall, he had 656 yards on 146 carries and four touchdowns. And he had only 23 catches for 176 yards and a touchdown. And you knew Latavius Murray is not going to get a lot of receiving yards. I mean, that's Alvin Kamara's forte. That's what they have him there for. Um, but he, he was decent on the ground. And, uh, you know, again, it's one of those situations where this has been the case for the last basically four running backs where it's like a, a backup running back that uh, isn't the main guy, but is a complimentary piece, uh, except for Giovanni Bernard, obviously, who had to become the number one guy. And uh, th it, it's showing that there's some value with those guys because, you know, you're going to have maybe not the consistency. Uh, it's going to be the boom or bust play, but through the course of the season, they're going to sneak into that top, you know, 30, uh, 25 to 30 range and uh, definitely worth drafting towards the end of uh, of the draft. So uh, Latavius Murray, I it's really going to come um, come down to you know what happens with Drew Brees and who the quarterback's going to be. If it's Taysom Hill, then you got to like Latavius Murray because that means they're going to go to more of a rushing attack, and that's what you saw with Taysom Hill. But you know if they decide to go towards Jameis Winston or somebody from the outside. Uh, Again, this is another kind of wait-and-see approach on how he's going to be used. Obviously, Alvin Kamara is going to be the main guy, but 
uh, Alvin Kamara didn't really need to rush the ball a lot to get a lot of yards. I mean, he, he did a lot of his damage, uh, you know, going out of the backfield on receptions. So there, there was still room for Latavius Murray. It, it, he's just kind of a maddening uh, roster spot. Uh, and, and when you need to play him, it's like, again, do, do I play him? What's the, you know, what's the game plan? What's it going to look like? Is he going to be effective? You know, put him in my flex and see what happens. That's that's kind of what uh, the season has been for Latavius Murray this last year. Daryl Henderson's our number 26. And I, I don't know. Daryl Henderson, again, started off all right. Or actually, I take that back. He didn't start off all right. And then started, Malcolm Brown started off pretty hot. And then Malcolm Brown cooled down. And then Daryl Henderson started uh, coming into his own a little bit. And then you were all in on Daryl Henderson, and then he put up some duds up with good matchups. And it made you, you know, like I said, you're all in on him, and then you're all out on him at that point. But then that's right when Cam Akers started getting, you know, creeping in, getting some carries, and Cam Akers was hurt. So, you know, he, he wasn't getting a lot of action. And then all of a sudden he started getting healthy, taking over for Daryl Henderson, and Daryl Henderson really struggled down the stretch. So... Again, he's one of those secondary complementary backs that, especially with Matthew Stafford in the fold, is, could be a really good play. But, uh, you know, the way Cam Akers ended the season, he, you know, he looks like the real deal. Looks like he's going to be the guy that's going to be the, the main guy for the Rams. So, really, Daryl Henderson is looking like, you know, more, more of like a handcuff option and potential, like, you know, carry here and there reception here and there uh but i do believe he's the better receiving back of anyone on the uh, on the rams offense but he had uh only 624 yards rushing on 138 carries had five touchdowns on the ground and you know basically 42 yards a game and had 159 yards receiving for a touchdown so i I think that was the big thing with daryl henderson that i was disappointed in uh, I thought he was a decent receiving running back, and they didn't really use him in the passing game at all. He didn't really see the ball a lot, and uh, I think you know with Matthew Stafford, maybe that's something that they try to do to make their offense a little less predictable, is uh, mix in those passes to the running backs a little bit more. So right after Daryl Henderson, it's uh, Gus Edwards' teammate, J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins was one of those ones where he started off not really being that productive, which is fine. He's a rookie, and so you you expect those type of things with J.K. Dobbins. But man, when you saw him towards the end of the season, he's gonna he's gonna be the real deal. And I mean, he had 805 yards rushing on 100, 134 carries. He had 120 yards receiving on 18 receptions. So again, not really uh, a receiving threat for the Ravens. The, the Ravens just don't use their running backs in their offense unless it's you know to the fullback. But you got to like those yards rushing and he only started one game uh officially so to get that many yards i mean other guys started the game but he was the guy that they leaned on and especially down the stretch he was just a monster so uh rookie running backs really had a good year this year in general you know we just mentioned cam Akers. we'll be mentioning you know some more down down in our uh our rankings but uh, J.K. Dobbins is going to be the real deal, and even in the future, like he's a guy that I really want on my team. Uh, if I can get him on all my teams, I would. Uh, he's he's a uh, 
the, the, like I said, the only drawback with him is the amount of receiving, uh, you know, targets that he gets in games. He really doesn't. They don't use him in the passing game, but everything else, you know, J.K. Dobbins, I'm all in on. So after J.K. Dobbins at number 24, we got uh, James Conner, and James Conner. This is kind of. You know, this was a, a bad season for James Conner. This was a bad se- uh, year for the Steelers in general rushing the ball. There was potential for James Conner to do really well this year. He was going to be the main guy. Roethlisberger was back. You expected big things. You know, you thought the offensive line was one of the tops in the league. And they looked old and slow, and they couldn't move anybody. And the Steelers had a tough time even finding open holes. Like, even if they were there... They just didn't really see them, so the the running game looked horrible. I mean, it got so bad that the Steelers stopped running the ball. You know, I mentioned in the previous podcast that the Steelers passed the ball seventy five percent of the time, the uh, and that was in the last uh, three games of the season. It was basically like we can't run the ball, so why are we trying? It it just looked horrible. And James Conner, I mean, I, I don't put all the blame on him. I don't think James Conner is a horrible back. I think he has value, but. Uh, all the pieces together between the offensive line and the running back's inability to get yards after contact, it just created a really bad environment for the Steelers. James Conner had 721 yards rushing on 169 carries, had six touchdowns, and that's deceiving because even like it's well over or well under a thousand yards, which you didn't expect. You thought Conner would get to that thousand yard mark, um, but. That looks better than even what it looked like. I mean, it looked like he did worse this season than uh, what the stats show. And he had uh, 215 yards receiving on 43 receptions. Really wasn't used that much in the passing game like he was the year before with uh, Mason Rudolph and Duck uh, Hodges. So he's going to be a free agent this year, so it depends on where he goes. I think the days of him being a number one running back are behind him. He's going to be a complimentary piece somewhere on another team. And uh, is he going to be worth drafting? I'm really going to depend on where he goes and what that situation looks like. But uh, you got to be disappointed with James Conner's season uh, when he he's you know the main bell cow and he places 24th in in the league. So moving on to number 23, Naheem Hines, running back for the Colts. This one's kind of crazy. Again, it, it was like. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, obviously, at the end of the season was just a beast. I mean, he, outside of Derrick Henry, I can't think of a guy that looked more dominant, especially at the end of the season. Um, and then you also had uh, 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 Wilkins, Jordan Wilkins in there. And it was that three-headed monster, especially early on in the season, that you couldn't really predict. And Naheem Hines, to his credit, looked the best out of the three early on until Jonathan Taylor really just kind of, you know, took it and ran with it at the end uh, towards the last, like, what, four or five games of the season. But uh, Naeem Hines had 89 rushes for 380 yards and three touchdowns and then uh, had 482 yards receiving on 63 catches, had four touchdowns. So, I mean, yeah, it's... Basically, that's what you expect from that complimentary piece in the offense, and that's the role that Naheem Hines played. And I'll be honest, I thought he had a better year than what I was expecting. Like There was just a lot of different options on the Colts, and especially going into the season, you had Marlon Mack, so you really were worried about what Naheem Hines' role was going to be. 
And he exceeded my expectations because I didn't think he could do much with, you know, a, a backfield where there was that many options. And I really thought it was going to take away from his volume and, and his targets. And uh, he held strong and, you know, was pretty consistent and basically played his role to a T of what everyone was expecting. So uh, give him his props. Next is David Johnson at uh, 22. David Johnson, I mean, you knew this was a bad trade, and it wasn't David Johnson's fault, but he looked worn down and injured for the Cardinals that last year. And then just to be traded for DeAndre Hopkins is just a travesty. And uh, I think that put really uh, high expectations on David Johnson. And then also he was hurt for part of the year too, so that didn't help. But he had 147 rushes for 691 yards. Uh, you were hoping to have more rushing attempts than that. That was probably the disappointing part. And he, David Johnson had some big games where uh, he really helped you out. But overall, I mean, he was just a middle-of-the-road meddling running back where he was not bad enough to bench or get rid of, but also not good enough that he was going to win you your week and, and carry your team. So uh, six touchdowns on the 691 yards, and then he had uh, about 314 yards receiving for two touchdowns. I also wanted to see more of him getting, you know, the receiving yards, especially with DeAndre Hopkins gone. I figured some of those targets would go to the running back and not as much as I anticipated went there. So, uh, but, you know, 314 yards for a running back is not bad, uh, but eight touchdowns the whole year, uh, you know, total, I would like to uh, have seen a little bit more from him. So moving right along we are going right to DeAndre Swift, which is another rookie running back. And joining Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins, I like DeAndre Swift. And then when he really, th- like I really felt he was coming into his own, he got hurt. And then when he was hurt, you know, he was, you never knew if he was going to play. It looked like he was going to play. He didn't play. Aiden Peterson played instead. And then it was towards the end of the year, he was looked like he was going to play, and they didn't use him as much. It was almost like they were still protecting him from his injury, and they were using Adrian Peterson and basically everyone else on, on the uh, in the Lions' backfield. Uh, so DeAndre Swift got 521 yards rushing on 114 attempts, but he had a lot of touchdowns. He was their main goal line guy. So even if he didn't have a great game rushing, sometimes he'd save you by getting that touchdown, or you know, so he'd break that 10-point barrier where I, I actually, like I think is the... Uh, you want all your guys to at least get you 10 points. Um, so that really helped him out. And then he did a lot better receiving than I thought he was going to do. He had 357 yards receiving on 46 receptions. Um, and he had two, two touchdowns. So 10 touchdowns for a guy that only had four starts in on the air. That's really good number. And, you know, Going into next year, do I like him better than, say, J.K. Dobbins? I don't know that I do. I think I like, uh, you know, Cam Akers, obviously, I like him probably the best out of the three. But uh, DeAndre Swift is just, you're worried about that quarterback situation. You you know, they got Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff going to be, uh, scare the defense enough to give the running backs some room where they're not putting eight guys in the box? I'm not sure about that yet, but uh, from a, volume standpoint uh i 
really do like DeAndre Swift. I mean, he's he's going to be the main back. Uh, obviously, it depends on whether they bring Adrian Peterson back or not. I don't think they will. But, uh, yeah, if, if they don't bring anyone in and DeAndre Swift's the guy, it doesn't matter how bad the Lions are going to be. It's, uh, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to play that volume, and that volume's going to win out. So moving right along to number 20 is Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, I would say, I don't know if this, it was a little disappointing of a year. I mean, the Falcons were one of the worst teams rushing the ball. But that wasn't where I was disappointed in Todd Gurley, to be honest. I mean, he had 678 yards on 195 carries. So he definitely met the rushing threshold. He just didn't get a lot of yards. Only had 3.5 yards per carry. So I think that was a disappointing thing is Todd, Todd Gurley got a lot of opportunities to be more productive stat-wise for, for your squad and just wasn't able to capitalize on it. But where he did, you know, I, I think add value was he had nine touchdowns rushing that's a lot of touchdowns on the ground but again you're basically playing him to score touchdowns and if he didn't score he kind of hurt you so uh the the part that really concerned me though was he only caught the ball 25 times he was only targeted 35 times and he had 164 yards receiving so that's where i liked Gurley going to atlanta was the fact that he was going to be the main guy he was going to get those rushing yards and really get a lot more receiving yards and be used in the passing game and then he wasn't so i think that's where his value was really hurt with todd Gurley. was again he didn't get those passing yards that you were expecting and you know he didn't even score a receiving touchdown that's really un todd Gurley like and uh if, you know, the Falcons definitely need to improve that running game, whether they draft someone or get a free agent. I think Todd Gurley's days are done of being the main guy, and he's really going to be just a, another guy on a team. And uh, this will probably be, uh, even though it's disappointing, will probably be one of his better years for the rest of his career because he he didn't look like the same Todd Gurley that, uh, you know, you saw early in his career. And, uh, again, he was a little bit disappointing. So number 19 is another rookie, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I loved Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I thought he was going to be the main guy. In our league, he was a you know top five draft pick. In a lot of leagues, he was a top five draft pick. There was a lot of hype around him. You know, in that Chiefs offense, he was going to be the main guy, and he was just going to get you know going to be like an Alvin Kamara light type player. And a lot of people bought into that, and I, I was one of them. I thought he was going to have a great game, or a great year, I should say. He had 181 carries, which is great. He was under over that 150-carry threshold, but uh, only he had 803 yards, and he had four touchdowns. So 803 yards isn't bad. I mean, he was a rookie, so expect a rookie to rush for 1,000 yards is not uh, not real. It's not that realistic. But, and to be honest, if any rookie had that many yards rushing, you'd be all in on him and happy and excited. But I expected him to score more with that amount of volume on the ground. And for where he was drafted, I feel like he didn't live up to those expectations. I mean, he was 19 overall at running back. So maybe that's where our expectations should have been of, you know, of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the beginning of the season. But they weren't. And so that made people kind of really be disappointed in his production, even though he had a great rookie season. Uh, 
in the future, I mean, it's Damian Williams is coming back. Daryl Williams is still there. Daryl Williams actually looked like the better back at the end of the season. But I'm not writing off uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be still a good back and just get better. And, you know, he has, he'll have another year in that offense to uh, get things right. And, yeah, he's he's definitely an intriguing option. I just think now that people are kind of realizing where he kind of fits in that offense and he won't be overdrafted this year and some team is going to be really happy you know where the where they're going to end up drafting him so at number 18 is miles sanders for the philadelphia eagles and miles sanders just kind of had a weird year i mean he was hurt at the beginning of the year came back the whole philadelphia eagles offense was injured Carson Wentz looked horrible. They couldn't pass the ball. And I don't know. It, it was definitely, like, like I said, the, the Philadelphia Eagles offense was just kind of bogged down. Uh, injuries, wide receivers couldn't stay healthy. Tight ends couldn't stay healthy. Um, and Miles Sanders ended up starting 11 games for uh, he had 164 rushes for 867 yards. He had a 5.3 yard average, which isn't bad. So you like his average. You like what he's able to do when he played. He was just on a really bad Eagles team that was also getting behind in games, so they had to throw the ball a lot more, but they didn't have anyone to throw to. So it was just a really bad situation on the Eagles. Like that offense was horrible. It was definitely took you by surprise. Um, but. Miles Sanders, you look at his stats, really wasn't bad when he played and had, a, you know, the majority of the opportunities. I mean, there's a couple times where he had touchdowns vultured by, like, Clements, where you're like, where is that guy coming from? Um, on top of that, Boston Scott vultured a couple. That's just the way it goes sometimes in fantasy football. But I thought he'd rush for 1,000 yards, but, if you know, for as many games as he missed with injury, 867 is not that bad. Six rushing touchdowns, I would have liked to see a little bit more, but... Miles Sanders proved that he could be the main guy every week. So if you get him as like a second running back next year, uh, you know, some of his best matchups, he had his better games. Now, granted, it all happened on like one play. And, you know, he he played uh, some great rushing touch, uh, defenses and was able to, you know, get a long rush for a touchdown that really helped him out. But those count too. So I'm not going to knock it. Um, and I'm, I'm still... I still like Miles Sanders. I think the biggest thing was he was targeted 52 times and only had 28 receptions. So that just shows how bad their passing game was, where they couldn't even get it to the running back consistently. Um, he only had 197 yards receiving. So I think, again, that it's kind of like Todd Gurley, where you're expecting more receiving yards. Thought he would excel in that part of the, the offense, and it didn't happen. So I think that brought his value down more than it should have. I really think Miles Sanders is still could be a top 12 back with, uh, you know, with the amount of volume and targets he gets if he stays healthy and he gets a better offense. He's in a better offense. <laughs> if he can do that, I like Miles Sanders. He's going to be running for, wait for it, Miles. All right, moving on to number 17, Chris Carson. And Chris Carson, again, he's a good back. It was one of those situations where he was injured for a little bit. And Seattle Seahawks were kind of odd where there was good matchups he had and they didn't run him very much. Uh, you know, this was the Seattle Seahawks 
unleashing uh, Russell Wilson a little bit, and then they were do- playing well, scoring a lot, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, we're, ru- we're passing the ball too much. We need to try to run the ball more. And then their offense wasn't very productive. And, uh, you know, between that and just Carson or Chris Carson's injuries, uh, it kind of left, uh, you know, I think you're a little bit disappointed in his production. But getting in the top 20, I mean, there's only, what, 24, uh, the minimum, 24 spots for your running backs. So he definitely is a startable running back every week. And especially with that flex, it moves him up even higher. Like he's, he's, you're definitely going to be playing him. But he only he had 12 starts, had 141 rushes and 681 yards. So I mean, 4.8 yard average. That's pretty good. I just think they didn't run him very much. You really thought he was going to get a lot more carries than he did. And uh, he had five rushing touchdowns, which were kind of low. And he had 37 receptions for 287 yards and four touchdowns. So those receiving touchdowns were all right. And his volume in the passing game, I mean, uh, you'd like to see it a little bit higher, but for the amount of uh, the amount the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, their, their run-to-pass ratio, they like to run the ball more. That's not that bad for a running back in the passing game with the type of offense that they want to run. So I really think it just comes down to they just need to give him the ball more and let him, let him run it until he'll be more productive. And... Uh, I like Chris Carson a lot this coming up year because Pete Carroll's made it known that that's what he wants to do. I want to run the ball. Like he fired his offensive coordinator, Schottenheimer, because he wanted to run the ball, even though they're still running the ball quite a bit. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and But again, uh, Chris Carson just uh, falls a little bit outside of our top 15. And then number 16, this is Ronald Jones from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he did a lot better than I thought. There's some people that were high on him just for the volume he was going to get. I was just worried about that crowded backfield. You know, Leonard Fournette was there. Deshaun McCoy was there. Keyshawn Vaughn, a rookie, was there. Uh, it didn't seem like uh, Bruce Arians was very loyal to Ronald Jones. You know, he had a fumble. He'd be out the whole game. So I was really worried about all those things. But credit to Ronald Jones because he was the number 16 back in all of fantasy football between weeks one to 16. So, and he almost rushed for a thousand yards on top of that. I mean, he had that long, like what, 92 yard run, uh, or 98 yard run. Sorry. Uh, that, that one week, but what a hundred, uh, 92 rushes for 978 yards had a 5.1 yard carry average, which is good. So all the stats there are like a number one back and you like to see it. And then, uh, I, I think, in like receiving wise, he only had 28 receptions for 165 yards and touchdown. So that's where I thought he might contribute a little bit more. Again, I think all these guys are at the bottom, like outer edge of being a number one uh, workhorse running back based off the fact that their receiving production was lower than what we anticipated. And, uh, you know, you add in that receiving production that you expect from the number one back and that catapults them right into the top, top 10 for sure and uh that's what what it really came down to you know really looking into these stats um but ronald jones again did better than i thought but you know looking into next year leonard fournette was a free agent they won him back leonard fournette i you know who knows if he wants to go back i'm sure he'll come down to money but if leonard fournette returns leonard fournette looked great down the stretch in the playoffs and the super bowl 
And that could spell bad things for Ronald Jones. So it really is going to come down to this offseason, seeing what happens, uh, before we can really have a good, like, accurate assessment on what Ronald Jones's value will be going into uh, 2021. But uh, we'll just cut it off right there and, you know, kind of leave a cliffhanger for the top 15 for our next podcast. But, uh, yeah, the, it's definitely telling. And I would say the the best thing that I can take away from looking at this uh, number 30 through 15 is, again, it was filled with a lot of secondary backs that were part of committees that were maybe the second option. And then other guys that uh, just weren't getting the receiving yards that you would expect. Um, those are, uh, you know, if you have guys that uh, are getting the volume, carrying the ball, not getting a lot of receiving yards, this is where you can kind of expect them to fall. And, you know, you can adjust your rankings accordingly coming into this year. And, again, maybe after, like, the top 20 running backs are off your board, maybe that's a good time to start digging into some of these backups that are going to uh, going to be giving uh, getting the, those volumes and those carries, uh, you know, going to be utilized in the offense because uh, there's, there's definitely room for them to be at least in a flex position and if not being the second running back on, on some roster. So... That does it for the Burke and Ms. the Wiz Montalban Fantasy Football Show. You're listening to Ms. the Wiz Montalban, and we'll catch you next week when we review the rest of the running backs, see where uh, everyone did, and uh, if it was true to form or if it was Mirage. Some of the things we'll discuss. But in the meantime, have a great week, and cheers. <laughs>